Hello and welcome. My name is Matt Mayer, aka Imp, and this is Imp's WWE Adventures podcast on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Your quick look back at the WWE week that was, and this week we have got a very simple three bang show building up to crown jewel this weekend wwe uh, smackdown had a nice building show building up la night a bit more Monday Night raw had a nice focus on Sami Zayn after the big focus on judgment day the week prior we got a little bit more focus on some of the other people around judgment day so cody rhodes got to end the show with a nice part Sami Zayn got to show up against judgment day as well and of course halloween havoc night two with idiot dragon of carmelo hayes for the nxt championship in the main event uh, and and dirty dom for the north american championship against nathan fraser we'll get to that one <laughs> we'll get to that one so first of all i feel like at this point not much point just rambling on and whatever because normally when i get into the edits of these i realize i cut out pretty much all of my intro stuff i, I normally have it on for like 10 15 minutes about a subject and every time so far <laughs> every time every time i've cut it out so it's nice that we are actually uh, you know just gonna swiftly move into things and get on with wwe smackdown WWE Smackdown, LA Knight and Roman Reigns contract signing, plus Jimmy Uso versus Knight then fed off of that into the main event, elevating LA Knight in a magnificent way. We had the initial interruption with John Cena calling out LA Knight to begin with. Last week we got LA Knight interacting with Paul Heyman and then here it's just LA Knight, Roman Reigns, one-on-one. -on -one. And for me, this worked really well. Nick Aldis working really well as the general manager, just overseeing the whole occasion. LA Knight was, again, elevated all by this. They all set up to have LA Knight successfully get under Roman Reigns' skin. And what I absolutely love about this is that the Roman Reigns character... And for me, part of the Roman Reigns thing is with his character currently, it's to not forget what the Roman Reigns character was before he returned. Like, to see what kind of state we were in. And the fact that this character is heavily reliant on it. Him getting the crowd to shout to acknowledge me is a direct response to the fact that they outwardly refused and rejected him. <laughs> as the like the dog where it's his yard suffering succotash era that's which why which is why Ellen Knight bringing it up hits so hard because Roman Reigns has done everything he can to get the fans to now cheer and respect him he's forcing them to acknowledge him now but what I really love about the character is when somebody else starts to get that attention after everything that Roman Reigns has done for us the fans we turn to somebody else and if that person starts to point that out a bit Roman Reigns absolutely flips, and it's happened with even with people within his own stable. It has happened like you try, immediate thing with like Jey Uso in his own stable, or, or Sami Zayn as well with the trial of Sami Zayn. Like, are you trying to upstage me? Are you trying to my, trying to take my position? It's immediately <laughs> he jumps down the throats because of it. And Ellie Knight goes into that seemingly knowingly trying to goad him in here. And trying to get it under his, his skin, f almost fully knowing that, and it worked. It worked wonders, and because I felt like Ellen Knight kind of needed something like this, just to show on the mic he can lay it down. But then this is more like as a character, he's able to get under his skin, and this type of stuff is needed as well. Because yes, you've got the basic stuff of can the guy handle it, but you also need to give the character enough depth for the fans to care as well. It's a weird place with wrestling. Yeah, quite often when you see the talk about it, not a lot of the creative elements are brought up when you're talking about the dynamic 
dynamics of a wrestler on the television. So much of wrestling is scripted and thought out. It's a pre-planned show. <laughs> let's, not, let's not kill ourselves, guys. Like, when you spot a character beat or a wrestler saying a certain thing, this is all character beats. Well, under Vince, obviously, we've been conditioned. <laughs> that really wasn't the case, and you kind of were relying on the performer to draw you in. Nowadays, they are actually telling stories, and they've got characters, and this is an important character beat. Because these past couple of weeks, you've seen LA Knight, the performer, step up and reach this zone. This week, it felt like the LA Knight character was finally stepping up, getting under Roman Reigns' skin, giving that opportunity to really show that he knows Roman Reigns. He knows how to defeat him. He's not going to win. It's fine. <laughs> for me, the entire point of this story isn't for LA Knight to win. It's to give LA Knight that next elevation. Test him in those higher waters. See if he really could be a top guy. <laughs> what they did here was absolutely perfect in setting that up. I don't know what they're going to do on SmackDown as like the final note, because I kind of feel like not a lot is needed. What happened on this show was more than enough to set you up nice and proper. It's a classic WWE three-week build, but this one done to perfection. To set up LA Knight <laughs> as that guy. Every single one of these weeks has done the absolute perfect thing to push LA Knight just a little bit further, just to convince the audience a little bit more. And this time, you've seen the wrestler. You got to see that, and then you got to see him back it up in the main event, which has been a trend these past few weeks. It's just to cement what LA Knight is saying. You also get to see him backing it up in the ring. He had the contract signing, then you had Jimmy Uso versus Knight in the main event. And they both feed into each other, because Jimmy Uso comes out to run the play, as <laughs> Jimmy Uso was saying, and and it completely goes wrong, but Roman Reigns gets away, Jimmy Uso goes through the table. Roman Reigns just, the way he and Jimmy Uso are interacting on SmackDown at the moment, I absolutely love. Because again, I, what I've said before on a previous week was that the Jimmy Uso character for him returning to the bloodline, for me, they didn't do a lot to make it work, to make sense, to fit the previous versions of Jimmy Uso that we've seen. However, sure the character made certain decisions and actions, it doesn't quite fit with the same character that would then rejoin the bloodline. But the characters around him have reacted really well. Because it's res wrestling I kind of analyse a bit differently than other television. Now, there's a dynamic about wrestling where you can kind of, not forgive, but you're able just to move past like a character inconsistency. You want character continuity, obviously. But if it's a consistent thing like that, I feel like you're able to gloss over it just a little bit more when all of the others around him have got that. Wrestling's a lot about vibes. I guess that's what I'm <laughs> kind of getting to. Because all of the others are uh, reacting correctly and there's nothing wrong with their characters and their reactions, the vibes are all fine. The vibes are all correct. Even if you were to dig into the Jimmy Uso character, it wouldn't really make sense. There's nothing taken away from the vibes of the bloodline, and I absolutely love the vibes of Roman Reigns coming in, seeing this version of Jimmy Uso in the bloodline, and having absolutely none of it. <laughs> like, really building up very quickly to Reigns just not trusting, like an inverse of what it was before, where Jimmy Uso was the one not trusting Roman Reigns. This time it's Roman Reigns not trusting Jimmy Uso at all. And the way Jimmy's carrying Southfield in his demeanor, he screams the guy in the crew who has gotten too cocky, and the boss, 100% can see it. This time somebody getting kicked out and they're blind to it happening. It's a it's a nice dynamic. Like Roman Reigns killing his own bloodline a bit more willingly. Like he's the one calling it to an end. Compared to beforehand where it felt like his, his empire crumble around him. It's like, well this kind of gives him some agency in that story. And uh, it's, it's always a good idea to have, to give characters that agency rather than them have the story happen to them. Especially if Roman Reigns is your main character. You kind of have to think a little bit differently about how you do things. But anyway, the main event of Jimmy Uso versus LA Knight was, again, it's a perfectly fine match. It's nothing absolutely crazy. But it was there to cement that LA Knight can beat these people. 
he knows how the bloodline think and he can defeat them in that way this i feel like this will successfully elevate him yeah a positive note all around if they can keep this up past this storyline then they've got themselves building up a star to perfection so far i'm interested to see what happens with any night and i'm applauding what they've done so far on smackdown this has been a pretty good filler the crown jewel stuff is technically often it is used as a bit of a filler or kind of an ender before you get to survivor series at this time it's being used really well just to give the fans a win in getting this guy they've been massively behind just give him this match give him this big stage and they can eat it all up nom 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 it's what I, just this has been the when i was watching vince run wwe this, this entire time i was just like why would you ever book against your fans what they're doing here with LA Knight was basically my point the entire time. Like, how WWE handled Dolph Ziggler and seemingly Dolph even would. I remember him going onto Twitter being like, oh, don't worry, they heard you. When it was part of a SmackDown show and Dolph got cheered out of the building. He got absolutely incredible reactions on an episode of SmackDown. SmackDown at the time was taped and it was a heavily produced, heavily ed edited show. So when he got a reaction at a level that he wasn't meant to get, they edited it out of the show. And I just thought that was such a backwards practice. Like, your guy got a megastar reaction, but because he wasn't meant to be the guy that got the megastar reaction, you edited it out of the show. And then for me, it's just like so backwards. <laughs> it's, basically, it's exactly what I was talking about with wrestling being more dynamic than your normal scripted television. Because, it, yes, it works that a character consistency in terms of their motivations, you are able to forgive it a lot more in wrestling. But also stuff like this where if somebody who isn't your main, main character gets a main character-like reception, you are able to go with it and make that guy feel like a big deal. It's not like a television show where you probably would edit it. Or like what they did with Sex Education for season four. Oh, is that spoilers for Sex Education season four if anyone's not seen it? I'm doing a big out loud thing, is this spoilers? So if you do care, skip, I don't know, one minute <laughs> ahead. But there's a, there's a character in season four of Sex Education called Ola, who, when they recorded all of the lines and whatever, she had a certain kind of flow with Otis, where they're going back and forth, like jabbing at each other. Uh, sorry, Otis is the main character, if you've not seen the <laughs> education. Uh, so she's having jabs with him, where they're both being quite harsh to each other. In the edit, because they wanted you to sympathise with Otis a lot more, they cut out a lot of Otis's jabs at her, so it seemed like she was the one being overly mean. So it changed it from her reacting in retaliation to his nasty thing. They cut out his nasty stuff, so it sounded like she was just crossing a line and going over the top, making him look just a bit more of the good guy in this situation. You don't need to do that in wrestling. <laughs> That's really not necessary. <laughs> you don't need to cut out Dolph Ziggler's reaction to make John Cena seem better. John Cena will still get his reaction. It's fine. It's absolutely fine. You don't need to cut the legs out of your other characters to make the other guy seem like a big deal. It's non needed. Seemingly, Triple H is absolutely aware of this. And in the Vince era, LA Knight doesn't get this opportunity. In Vince's era, he probably gets released as the um, maximum male models manager. But here, you get the vibe that under Triple H era, Dolph Ziggler would not just have been left to the side for as long as he was, given the level of reactions for years he was getting before he won Money in the Bank. <laughs> me having a decade old rant <laughs> on WWE like 10 years ago. Anyway, that brings me to the end of the SmackDown portion. Not really much else for me to say. They're just building to Crown Jewel relatively well, keeping things flowing with the consistency of the characters. But really, the main focus is LA Knight getting him ready for Crown Jewel. Anyway, let's move on to Monday Night Raw. My entire career, my entire life, I have fought people like the Judgment Day. 
People who think like the Judgment Day. People that think that all that matters is power. And as long as you're chasing power, you can do whatever you want. You could be as ruthless as you want, as cutthroat as you want. You could rule with an iron fist. You can oppress whoever, whenever, as long as it's in the name of power. So that's fine. If that's the name of your game, fine. But understand that if that's your game, my name is not Sami Zayn. My name is Rebellion. My name is Resistance, and I will fight the Judgment Day, whether it's one-on-one, two-on-one, three-on-one, four-on-one, five-on-one, as long as there is a breath of air in my body, I will fight. The way that Sami Zayn gave his speech, it was, yeah, I saw a lot of people comparing it to Mick Foley. It felt very Mick Foley with the level of passion and the, the manner and pacing of his delivery. But what he was, what he actually said was quite interesting. It's almost like the artistry of what he was saying. There's one thing he's saying on the face of it, but then when it comes to the art of something, in terms of like the feelings it gives you, he's talking to Judgment Day. He's calling them oppressors, saying if they believe they are doing what he has seen loads of other people do, they feel like they can do whatever they want in, because it's in the name of power. And no matter who they step on and what they do, labeling them uh, oppressors and saying, if that's the case, then you can call me the rebellion. Getting really all fueled up, <laughs> getting really fired up, taking us into invariably giving in the match with Damien Priest. But immediately, I just see that. I was just like, it's interesting he's done that this week. <laughs> like, I'm sure that this this speech wasn't fueled by any connotations of anything happening right now in the world. Immediately, obviously, we know what's happening in Israel though. But I just found it interesting that it was. It's also the week of the Saudi Arabia show that he says something like this. But the fact he's been able to get that into a WWE show. It's just interest. I feel like it's interesting on a show that doesn't normally let anything which could be politically read at all on their show. The fact that Sami Zayn was able to give not just this level of speech but to give be, be allowed to give it with such passion. It really hit home with a lot of people as well just the way that he delivered it. But the fact that this had some artistry to it. And what I mean by that is it's not just the words that you say and then just read those words. It's the feelings it gives you hearing them. And, oh, you get fired up listening to this promo. <laughs> You're ready to march with Sami Zayn into that main event. Yeah, so, Battle of Sami Zayn. The main event is, well, really fun. So I feel like this was like a maybe a little test just to see if Sami Zayn can uh, really dance as a, a solo main event and one like Raw. Getting the viewers used to it, like conditioning them to get used to Sami Zayn as a singles act in the main event. It's quite a good time to do it as well. He gets the impassioned speech delivered incredibly. Then he gets a main event match with the guy who's actually the main focus. So that kind of helps. Like you condition viewers to get used to him as a solo guy in the main event because there's other people who are the main focus going into the pay-per-view. So you've got Damien Priest, you've got Cody Rhodes, you've got the big old schmars with Jey Uso and everybody coming out to fight off the Judgment Day and their numbers. JD McDonough just getting his ass absolutely beaten <laughs> after he faced Seth Rollins in a match earlier in the night. And then here he got just his ass handed to him. <laughs> two crossroads. Was it two or was it three? He crossroads to hell on the announce table <laughs> by Cody uh, during that thing. And then Cody got to give his own impassionate speech building to their, his match with Damien Priest. And it, for me, this was a really strong vibe to end the show on. Just because we've had quite a few like schmozzy or every, all the lads come on down and have a big beatdown kind of exciting ending. It's always exciting when you have to loads of people walloping each other on the back. <laughs> well, the, the, the baddies try and run away. It, it's always a fun way to end the show. But here it was the fact that it then refocused directly onto Damien Priest and Cody and Cody got to give his speech. I feel like that worked really well. As a viewer, your focus has then ended on, okay, it now all happens at this pay-per-view. I feel like it's a round of applause for this entire angle on this show tonight. 
with the whole Sami Zayn thing and it feeding into Cody and redirecting your attention to what actually matters, whilst also making sure that the star in Cody then didn't really have to do anything on the show. <laughs> your attention is all on Cody, even though he came down, did the big, fired up beat down, gave his big speech at the end of the show. Didn't, didn't feature at all on the rest of it, didn't need to. Yeah, a big old schmozkerfuffle to end the show and focus on Cody Damien. Uh, I was a fan of it. Uh, Creed Brothers, they got their debut on Raw against Alpha Academy. A Brutus Ball onto Otis. What the hell? <laughs> I really did not see that coming. I felt like this was a really strong debut. It felt like a perfect angle to then follow up with something next week. And also, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Creed Brothers would fit perfectly into that faction. Like, if they use this for Chad Gable to try and recruit them into Alpha Academy, it could work. But also, I feel you need Chad Gable to actually be cemented as a guy going for a singles title because at the moment that would then compete <laughs> against the fact that he, that he and Otis are also going for the tag titles with the Creed brothers obviously with a big win here and maybe take that as them proving themselves against the academy it's just as soon as I saw them coming out I was like you know what this fits perfectly here yeah the trio works and uh, the Alpha Academy is absolutely perfect home for them yeah, speaking of tag teams, a DIY got their Raw debut against Imperium. A perfectly fine TV match there to establish uh, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano in front of the bigger audience because they did it all on NXT back in the day. So getting them associated with the characters in this way is absolutely fine. And, and I think for me, the big telling thing was that the level of reaction they got for their finisher just showed the investment they had in the match. There will be some people in the crowd that fully know everything. Into, they're fully into the story as soon as they signalled for their finisher the whole crowd was into the match that's, that's always the big telling thing like how much are the crowd cheering along with what you're doing when, when you're there in the ring doing a big finish and they were fully into it which is a great sign so yeah because I felt like at the start of the match it was just yeah we're happy to see them but like not, not massively going crazy for them by the end of the match they were going crazy for Day White their dynamic together really works especially when you give them the correct focus a, this was a perfectly fine episode of Raw. It was one where the large portions of it where I wasn't like massively invested, but they bookended it well enough, and you had technically two debuts uh, that went down well. Anyway, then we use that to jump over to spooky, 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 spook <laughs> with NXT. Torpedo Moscow! Sometimes, I think I choose clips just to display the noises Booker makes during these no these shows. <laughs> like, what was that, Booker? <laughs> what was that? Uh, NXT Halloween Havoc Night 2. Uh, last week, we got the NXT Women's Championship main eventing. This week was Ilya Dragunov defending against Carmelo Hayes. A another decent showing from the two of NXT's biggest talents for the future. Both lads upping the intensity, showing a bit of rage to go to that next level. A way that Ilya Dragunov was up on the barricade, getting the crowd into him, the look on his face. His facials were fantastic in this match. And same with Carmelo. Both lads absolutely nailed it. You can just feel the level of rage that is bursting through Ilya Dragunov as he dives onto the announce table. The intensity of the final, like, 5-10 minutes were really well done. Like, much appreciated. It, it was building along nicely. I was watching it and going, you know what, it's decent, it's fine. In the final five minutes, they did a portion beforehand where you could just see the intensity just heating up with the whole ringside ball, and they took that energy into the ring and really led into the uh, final flow. Trick Williams then returned to cause the lost distraction for Carmelo, with commentary going, he looks like he's seen a ghost. 
story's pretty clear here. <laughs> That's the distraction that then works Dragon out to get back into the match and hit him with, I've forgotten what is charging uppercuts called, <laughs> whatever that is. This was a, I call it like a perfectly fine main event, then with a really hot ending because they took that energy where they were trying to show that they, both of them had raged up. They took that energy back into the ring, so the final five minutes were like a fire exchange them really hitting at each other with that intensity. And then Trick Williams comes out, causes the distraction. Like, oh, okay. Because I remember saying whenever... When was it when Trick got taken out? Whenever Trick got taken out, two weeks ago, I remember saying, for me, it'd be a little bit boring if it just is Carmelo, end of. But if you are going to do that story, not wasting any time and literally in Carmelo's title match, he returns immediately. There's no timeout. Because part of the who attacked Alistair Black thing was the fact that it went on for months and it turns out there was no answer and they chose Johnny Gargano. They didn't have one when they started the story, so they chose somebody it could make sense with. Whilst here, it's kind of like, no, we know what we're doing with the story. It's a basic, simple story. Pretty much like everything else in NXT, it's relatively simple. For the vibe NXT's going for is the exact vibe I'd write stuff with. Because I think that's one thing for me to take into context as well, is when I'm looking at the levels of stories that they're telling, the entire thing feels like characters being figured out with relatively simple stories. You save that more complex shit for the main roster. Not that I'm saying the main, main roster is complex, but in comparison to the levels of stories being told here. And for me, because it's developmental, that is absolutely fine. It's my question again, are you booking this show as a developmental or as a strong TV show? And it feels like it's leaning more and more into that developmental vibe whilst now and then dipping into the TV show shoes. Because like I said, like with the uh, women's breakout tournament, as a developmental, that works great in giving like the exposure to these characters and seeing which ones the fans gravitate towards and just giving an opportunity to get your characters a bit more figured out on a stage like this. But I'd be lying if it was making good television. <laughs> so it's I, whilst I can applaud it in one direction, I then I do have to, like, I'm not applauding it in the other. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with the story being simple like this. Arguably, I much prefer it to what they did with Who Attacked Alistair Black. <laughs> yes, NXT parking lots are dangerous, but, you know, at least make the story make sense. And if you're going for the most obvious answer, at least don't waste my time doing months of, oh, who did it? Oh, I don't know who did it. That just immediate, nah, just immediately. <laughs> it was Carmelo, end of. And also what I quite liked as well was that we didn't get a huge like moment of immediate explanation or trick attacking him or whatever. It felt like a guy who generally had a problem with someone coming to talk about it in an intense manner. Which is a different vibe that you often get in wrestling where it's normally like fist first, sort later. Or Carmelo in that moment immediately turns heel and starts being the cowardly heel running away or whatever. Now, the other thing as well, because it's NXT, it's always in the back of my mind is a certain character beat happening because this character's going to the main roster and you're helping get over the next guy when, for when that one leaves. And Triple Williams can easily take part, uh, a lot of the heat that Carmelo could give him and just run with that and uh, give him a bit more time. Like, it's now Trick's time. I'd be fine with that, to be fair. Like, Carmelo going to the main roster and Trick Williams getting his time, that will feed off the John Cena stuff really well. It's just him being like, is this my moment? And then he can use this to actually make it his moment. Uh, Ilya, after the match, getting attacked by Baron Corbin. So we're getting an Ilya Dragunov, Baron Corbin match. Set your calendars. <laughs> Set. Yep, yep. Let's move on. Uh, tables, ladders, and scares. Ah, Creed Brothers versus Garter and Carrillo. They've got Wolverine lines on them now. Creed Brothers off of their Raw debut win. And gosh, them wrestling fans love them tables, they do. I should probably do that in a uh, country. Oh, they, oh, gosh, them wrestling fans love them tables, they do. West Country for you Americans. Oh, I got him. Yeah, I need to end this bit. <laughs> but they they put on a really entertaining match. 
They gave the crowd the tables that do they do so love. Hitting the, what's their move called? Yeah, the Brutus Ball. Hitting that through a table? <laughs> I was not expecting <laughs> to see that. Because they gave them tables right at the start and they gave them many more throughout the course of the match. This for me was what I'd want from a Halloween show. Like the trick or treat fight that happens on Raw every year. It happens every single year. It's always a tag match. And it's consistently shit. <laughs> every single year the trick or street fight isn't funny doesn't get a very good reaction it's even happened before where the wrestlers going out there they really give it their all Chelsea Green and Viper they went out and they had one hell of a match with who the hell did they fight was it, just, it was just Chelsea wasn't it it's Chelsea in a singles match against somebody I've completely forgotten who it was <laughs> but still it was just there was very little reactions to it. The crowd were not going crazy for this, and it, it wasn't getting that comedic vibe either. They come here, and this is just chaotic fun. For me, that's the vibe I want to be going for. Not trying to be funny and get a reaction. A part of the comedy dying is because it feels like you're trying. Here, they're just, they're just having a no-DQ match. That, that's way more fun. <laughs> this was a white-hot opener. The Creed Brothers, again, looking amazing. This is the, To be fair, this is the level of integration I'd like to see with NXT in the main roster, and it's great to see finally it's happening. I just look at it and go, oh, I wish this could have happened in those super indie days, just this level of integration. But now, you're seeing it here with the Creed Brothers showing up on Raw and then going here. They are consistently being built somewhere. And sure, they could go after the NXT tag team titles, but they'd be Alpha Academy on the main roster. They could slot into the main roster now. It just depends what do you want to do with it. And this is like a new era of NXT and the main roster really being fitted with each other and you seeing that crossover. We've seen the crossover the other way of the bigger stars coming to NXT seemingly to get a rating up. But it also makes sense for it to now go of the NXT stars showing up on Raw to help build up their stock. Personally, I think you could have a little period. Well, that was Creed Brothers. It worked so well and arguably just called them up. <laughs> just do it, just put them into the Alpha Academy. But they could also just use that to try and build their stock for NXT for them to go to those titles. When you start featuring them on the main roster, should you then also keep featuring them on NXT, or do you call them up at that point? It's not a dynamic we've had questioned, because Vince didn't even know what was happening on NXT, so there was no chance for this to even be a question. <laughs> but now in this new era, and they're finally using that integration. I'll keep an eye out for what the answer may be. And also, speaking of keeping an eye out, because, my god, this match... <laughs> I normally keep these things kind of like relatively positively and even if I'm moaning about something it's normally in a positive way. Dominic Mysterio versus Nathan Fraser was a sloppy <laughs> so many errors. This match died on its arse. I'm so sorry. I mean when I say died on its arse the NXT crowd will cheer or seemingly almost cheer anything. They're, they're having a great time and even with this match they're an audience which is willing to let mistakes go. They want the wrestlers in there to do the best they can to not feel like too bad whenever a mistake goes wrong which arguably is a great crowd for people who are learning. It's just interesting that it's Dominic Mysterio who's on television every single week and made so many errors in this match. Like an inverse like crossroads spinning type of thing where he just spins him the other way and Dom just lands awkwardly on his face. Like which is completely whiffed the dropkick that then sends into the 619. So the commentator's doing that, oh, he didn't get all of it. <laughs> and Nathan Frazier has to then sell going into the ropes. And Dom's dropkick just clearly didn't hit. And you hear the fans... The fans almost did a, oh. And then their investment in the 619 hitting really just wasn't there. <laughs> just because they just didn't hit the dropkick. So, and they spotted it. It's almost like a, oh. But then they're trying, they're trying to stay invested. They don't want Dom to feel too bad that he missed it. Then arguably puts a bigger spotlight on it for the viewer. <laughs> it's quite funny. But yeah, Dominic Mysterio wins as the baddie in the end, hitting the 619 and winning with the frog splash. But it was so much sloppy stuff. 
And the only reason I'm pointing this out on NXT is because it's like a main roster guy in Dominic Mysterio getting that experience on NXT against Nathan Fraser. Who I do rate Nathan Fraser. Uh, there's something... He's, he's got the wrestling ability. There's just something missing aside from... I kind of see him as a guy who can do moves good and not much else. And I kind of feel like they've done a strong enough job to start giving him character. But I don't just mean like speaking character. I mean the way he carries himself and the way that he hits his moves in the ring don't have much character. I feel like that's the type of thing that he, he will slowly figure out how to integrate one into the other. That's what NXT's for. That's what he's in the like. If he was on the main roster doing this, this is a different question. But he's not. This is so. This is absolutely fine. Which is why when I talk about Dominic Mysterio, he is on the main roster and <laughs> he is making these levels of mistakes. So they kind of get shouted out a little bit more. Nathan Frazier was a bit sloppy here. Like he's on NXT. Like cool, whatever. But he wasn't. He was the crisper guy, and Don Mysterio was mucking up quite a few things <laughs> in a very visible way. So yes, yeah, so when I say this match died on its ass. I can't imagine, like, uh, like if you're an AW fan that really elevates, like, the quality of wrestling as to why you watch it, you would have just been laughing at this match as more and more mishaps kind of just happened. <laughs> if, you're do- if you're a WWE fan that just likes to forgive or whatever, like, you feel bad for them. But you maybe will laugh it off or whatever, but it's uh, it wasn't good. <laughs> it wasn't good. I just wanted to use this time to shout out Dominic Mysterio and Nathan Frazier for being a not good match. <laughs> so well done. But I, again, I do normally use this to kind of give a positive vibe as a revisit the week of the WWE. And we've got Crown Jewel coming up this Saturday, live from Saudi Arabia. Uh, this is the first year I've not done a column that's coinciding with the Saudi Arabia trip. I normally do a column which is in, t- in tow with it, just being like, and this is the update on the atrocities. But I shifted it last year. The final column I, I ever wrote was this time last year. It's still up on Messing Headlines. Well, I wrote about how it's absolutely perfectly fine. I'm not going to preach against watching these shows. For me, it's absolutely fine for you watching these. Me not watching this show and I'm not tweeting about it will have zero impact. It will have no impact whatsoever. So I, and I'm perfectly fine with people watching the shows. If you enjoy yourself, yeah, whatever. As long as whilst we're watching it, we know what it is. And like, as in, even though the shows are now good, I am not dropping the fact that these shows are still full of propaganda. They are paid for by the kingdom to promote the kingdom for tourism. That's the entire point of the, the objectives for 2034. And they've been given the World Cup in that same year, which is uh, somewhat... Was it 2030? I hope it's 2034 now. <laughs> I've forgotten what year Saudi Arabia were aiming for. But because they're aiming to not be rely- as reliant on their oil, they're putting in all these different practices to try and... Uh, but they were seeing, thinking they could get a lot of more money in through tourism as well. So trying to westernise their country to try and get a lot more money in that. And the sports watching is an absolutely massive part of that. Like they've mass- they've massively hurt their own perception with certain activities, but with the sports washing, that is the one that is working. But part of me is just like, but like you can enjoy the shows. You can watch. If I've got nothing against watching and enjoying the shows, as long as you're not lying to yourself about what it is you're watching. And it's the same message here. These shows are still full of propaganda. They're still advertising Saudi Arabia as this amazing tourist destination and uh, sorry progressive amazing tourist destination to the western market that's what these shows are for and it is working i feel like the the special football events and getting in the big star footballers this past year their performance at the world cup was something that wouldn't have been planned within this strategy but it did an absolutely amazing job in kind of uh, just show just show, showing the passion of that they have for football for their players then then works into advertising their leagues which I assume has then helped attract a lot of players. 
Like, not only is there the money side, you saw at the World Cup that they do actually care. <laughs> so there is that as well. Anyway, yeah, as long as we're watching the WWE shows, like, you know that it is a propaganda show. But you can still enjoy it. That so, yes, it's a much better show than it was. The propaganda is done a lot better and a, and a lot more integrated into the show than it was before. It's still propaganda, though. <laughs> it still is what it is. And that's my leaving vibe for Crown Jewel. I'm expecting this show to be generally really fun and I'm going to talk about it on the show next week. It's still propaganda though. It's just well-made propaganda that I can actually enjoy watching compared to what on earth were <laughs> those earlier shows. Uh, they are not the same kind of show. They are genuine shows that you can enjoy. You're not sitting there feeling like you're watching propaganda. You're more feeling, feel like you're watching an actual wrestling show. <laughs> it's like, well done there. Anyway, with that... I say thank you for listening, engaging in any form, any manner. Always appreciate it, never taking for granted. Please check out the other social suplex podcast network shows at One Nation Radio with Rich and James, All Things Elite with Floyd, keeping it strong style with uh, social suplex daddy Jeremy Donovan and young boy Josh Smith. I'll be back this time next week to talk about the WWE week that was and Crown Jewel. So with that, I bid you adieu. Adios. <laughs>